0: As Cardinals fans hope for big moves over this winter, is it possible the front office and ownership will disappoint? Coming up on B-Shape Daily. What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. Early morning hours now of Friday, November 10th, 2023. Still waiting on the first big move of the St. Louis Cardinals offseason. How much longer will that be the case? Who knows? Maybe something happens sooner rather than later. But, you know, I got to thinking with all the conversation going on and a lot of the comments that come in on the YouTube channel here, youtube.com slash atbshafer12, or over Twitter, atbshafer12 on Twitter, about what folks think the Cardinals are actually going to do this offseason season. It's an interesting split of people saying, I demand this, that, or the other, or I'm going to be disappointed, or I'm going to consider it that the Cardinals fell short here this offseason versus other people that it seems like they're managing those expectations from the jump because they want to save themselves from the potential disappointment. I know how the Cardinals operate. They always do this. They always say one thing, and they get your hopes up, and then it ends up being something lesser. Like, There's a lot of people that I think Cardinals fans out there have that mentality, and they're trying to brace for the possibility that this offseason doesn't go to plan. I have been on the, I guess, optimistic side of things as we've discussed the approach we expect the Cardinals to take and the execution we believe is going to play out over the course of really the coming weeks. Like, we talk about this winter as a long offseason, and we know the MLB winter meetings in Nashville aren't until... The beginning of December but I feel like the Cardinals probably will have already needed to make some moves before the MLB winter meetings especially when you talk about the players from Japan that are being posted the posting system is open for 45 days but they don't have to wait 45 days to sign if they find an offer to their liking guys like Yoshinobu Yamamoto and perhaps Shota Imanaga as well another Japanese pitcher these guys can find the deals to their liking and sign one right just like uh MLB free agents, guys who are free agents after playing Major League Baseball, those guys are going to begin to sign as well, we presume, before the winter meetings in December. So we'll see what ends up happening between now and then. But on today's podcast, I kind of wanted to talk about the notion of what happens if they fall short and how realistic maybe is it that that'll take place, that the Cardinals won't be able to fulfill what they set out to do this offseason, and that you could be in for another disappointing campaign in 2024. How likely is that? First and foremost, off the top, I don't think it's very likely that the Cardinals are going to completely fall on their face this offseason. And an article that Derek Gould wrote for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch for SCL Today uh, that I saw him tweeted out earlier today, and he did a great job on Twitter basically teasing the content of the article. And asking, and this is the tweet from Derek, while the Cardinals aim to add standout pitching, there is also the possibility that they will be outbid or unable to do so, which prompted my question. And Derek's question to John Moselak, is there a scenario where they shift focus and consider trading veteran stars like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt? Because you remember last trade deadline, all the rumors with the Dodgers, especially as it pertained to Arenado, it got a little weird there for a bit. But at the end of the day, Mosellock said, look, that's not what our focus is. So I thought this was an interesting question that Derek asked Mosellock out there at the GM meetings. And Mo ultimately, I recommend you read the article, but Mo ultimately said that's not really front of mind for them. That's not really the way they're looking to approach this. They don't have intentions on trading either of those players. And that is a take that I agree with. because, And there have been Cardinals fiends, even in the YouTube comments here, that say, no, you should trade. Goldie and Arnauto for pitching. Okay. I don't see the point of that. Even if you. End up falling short of your goals. In free agency. And in the kind of like the regular trade market. I'm not sure. Like one of the main reasons. Is on the surface. I just don't think it makes sense to make your team worse. In 2024. If you. Are trying to contend in 2024. And by moving Arenado and Goldsmith some cornerstone players for your offense, I think you get worse. I think you win fewer games. It could be a true baseball trade, I guess, or you trade for pitching that helps you immediately. But at the same time, players that are owed the kinds of salaries that Goldsmith and Arenado are owed, like I just don't see the trade that happens that you make that move and you immediately get the kind of pitching that's going to make you better right now while factoring in what you lose in two of your middle-of-the-order bats. If anything, those types of moves, if they should take place, would strike me as salary dumps. And it's not to say that you won't get some value back in terms of player talent for those guys, but more than anything, and this is why it's always confusing to me that Cardinals fans, not all, all of them, and most people, I think, would say, no, I would like to see them keep those players. But that's what makes it so interesting to me when people say to trade away Goldie and Arenado because they need to utilize those assets to get better at pitching. Because I don't think one year Paul Goldschmidt at a high salary is going to command the type of pitcher that Cardinals fans think they're going to get. And Arenado has multiple years on his contract, but declined in performance a little bit this past year to where is he like on the open market now, would he command what he's currently making? Before 2023, you would have said certainly. Everybody had said, you know, opting out of the, or, or opting in, I I should say, to the contract with St. Louis, he probably left a lot of money on the table when he did. Is that still the case? I'm not sure. I'm not saying he's a terrible value at the salary that he commands. But at the same time, it's a sizable number to where the pool of applicants, that the number of teams that are going to be interested and willing to take on a contract like that is limited. And thereby you're limiting yourself to prospects and players from that team, from those teams that you could acquire in return for Arenado. Not to mention the fact that he's one of your best players. So I just don't see how it makes you any better. And if you're conceding that, well, the front office might say we're trying to get better for 2024, but As a Cardinals fan, I just don't think it's going to happen that quickly. Okay. But my thing is, why would anybody let the Cardinals off the hook for that? Like, they're the ones saying, you guys as fans should demand of us that we are better and that we do it right away. Like, that's the bar that's being set. That's the bar that they want set in the standard to which they are asking to be held by the fan base. That's the way I view it. If they consistently say, hey, this is not going to be a multi-year rebuild. We're going to be good again this year. To me, Cardinals fans should hold them to that standard. And by the way, even if they weren't saying that, Cardinals fans should hold them to that standard. Because that's the rich history of the organization. That's the way that it's always been. If you want to be proud and loud about being the St. Louis Cardinals... That comes with certain responsibilities and your responsibility, in my opinion, maybe this sounds a little haughty, but I think as the Cardinals, it's your responsibility not to be a last place team. It's your responsibility to uphold the, the rich history of the organization and win a lot of games and be in contention every year. You don't have to win the World Series every year, but you should be in contention. And when you're not, you should look yourselves in the mirror and go, what the hell happened and how do we make sure it never happens again? That's the way that I would look at this. And by even entertaining the notion of, like, let's say, okay, this offseason, the Cardinals are, are set out to sign a big starting pitcher, but maybe they can't convince Yamamoto to come here. Maybe they can't convince Aaron Nola to come here. Blake Snell to come here. I I don't seem to believe they'll have any trouble convincing Sonny Gray to come here, but let's say that they, they miss out on him as well and that Jordan Montgomery doesn't want to come back. Okay, suddenly that upper tier of free agent starters it has dwindled, and maybe there's not anybody left that is a match for you. Uh-oh, what happens now? Well, okay, we got to make a trade, which is part of the reason it rubs me a little bit the wrong way, that that it seems as though their preference, and I know it's a manpower question, but their preference seems to be stake out free agency first and then maybe double back to the trade market if necessary. That's a little bit, and maybe that's unfair of a way to characterize it because that might not be what they're doing. It's kind of seemed to be the way based on reports and based on what we've heard from Moselak, but maybe they're just kind of throwing some smoke screens out and they are very active in the trade markets right now behind the scenes. Maybe that's the case. I feel like they should be because trades can happen, right? And if Dylan Cease is traded somewhere and you weren't devoting a lot of your energy toward that, but you thought he could be a fit, you just wanted to wait, though, to see what, your payroll looked like with the free agent starter or starters that you were to pick up before prioritizing the trade market, then you might miss out on an opportunity is sort of the bottom line for me. So you'd like to see them again, manpower. Only so many people in the front office, only so many phone calls and texts and meetings you can have at a time with other executives and other front offices and other teams. But I would think that the trade market should be a very, important element of what the Cardinals are trying to do this winter to fix the starting rotation and the bullpen as well. You could trade for relief pitchers if you'd like. I think it's probably a better way to do it than overpay for them in the free agent market if it's somebody that you, know, you may not get the full production from. The guy you pay $10 million per year to be a reliever because relievers are rather fickle. And if you can find a, a true baseball trade that nets you a couple of upside arms that you don't have to pay as much, maybe that helps with the payroll constraints as well. So I feel like the trade market should be an important part of the way the Cardinals get this handled. And that's why we talked yesterday for 72 minutes about mostly trades on b Shafe Daily. You should scroll back on your podcast feed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Check that out if you missed it. Uh, it's also on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at b 12. Make sure you guys are subscribing to the channel. I had somebody uh, reach out in the YouTube comment section yesterday. Saying, hey, I really enjoy the videos. I just realized that although I'd been watching and listening for months, I hadn't subscribed yet, but I did now. And I said, well, thanks. I really appreciate that. Maybe that's you, and you say, I, I watched some of Brendan's videos or I listened to them on YouTube, but I haven't hit the subscribe button. Would love for you to do that. It really does help me out. And we're getting closer to 1,900 subscribers on the YouTube channel. Definitely would like to get to 2,000 before the end of the calendar year but we'll see how close we can get to doing that. But would love for you guys to jump on board because this is day four in a row of me recording a Cardinals podcast, and all of them have been, at least so far, at least like 45 minutes in length. Some people say they like the longer ones. Some people say I don't have time to listen to the whole thing. Some people say you yammer on. I probably do, but I I try to please everybody the best that I can and i also enjoy being able to just kind of stream of consciousness especially this time of the off season where the possibilities are sort of limitless i like to be able to talk through all of the the potential things the cardinals could be doing so a little longer on the podcast hopefully if you enjoy the content you don't mind that but I want to have you on board all off season and then next season you'll just already be here as we uh, hopefully get to cover a cardinals team that that does a little better right on the field than 71 and 91 but appreciate you guys for being with me here Right now, we, we talked a lot about trades yesterday because, yeah, I do think it's an important part of the way the Cardinals can get this right. But I, I also think it's interesting that names like Goldsmith and Arenado sometimes get lumped into that because I think those are kind of opposing ideas and opposing notions. No, if you're trading those guys away, that's the signal of a rebuilding team. And nothing we've heard from the Cardinals suggests rebuild. And so in the article from STL Today that Derek tweeted out, And I also, the reason I bring up this article is because I wanted to share what I said as a response to it. Because I quote tweeted the article and got some thoughts out. And it's sort of the premise for the podcast today. And I felt like it was something that, I don't know if it needed to be said, but as we sort of approach this big, massive, important offseason for the Cardinals, And fans are going to have their various opinions. Like I I started off the top saying, some people are sort of ready to be disappointed. Some people are saying, nope, I'm demanding that you do it this way or I'm going to boycott. I mean, people are saying that. I don't know if anybody would actually boycott. Maybe it's, you know, you don't really go to games anyway, but maybe you won't watch or maybe you won't be as interested. Everybody's got their various degrees of of what that could look like. But I retweeted, I I quote tweeted Derek's article uh, or the tweet involving his article. And I said that it's a good and worthy question from Derek as to, like, getting him on record, getting John Moselick on record, asking, would you consider trading Goldschmidt and Arnauto this offseason if your plan to fix the rotation doesn't go well and you're sitting here in late December or January, you know, spring training around the corner going, oh, man, our rotation's not going to be a competitive one because the musical chairs have happened and we're left without a seat or rather, we're left with three open seats or two open seats or maybe a, a open ace spot at the top of our rotation, and we didn't fill it, and really, we just don't think there's going to be a way to do it effectively because we've tried to exhaust our options via trade, but everybody wants Brendan Donovan, and we don't want to do that. You know, Whatever the case might be as to why the Cardinals would fail, that's sort of the premise of this is, what if they do fail, what happens then? And in quote-tweeting this tweet from Derek, I said, I agree with Moselock's response. And again, go ahead and read the article to read the quotes and everything like that about what Mo had to say, but essentially shooting down the idea and saying, that's not our, our plan. We're not going to trade him. We're not going to trade either of those guys. But then I said, I also submit that there's no room for this organization to fall victim to the premise of this question over the coming weeks. The premise being, if you really try hard to sign pitching and to get pitching and to fix it, but you're outbid or you, you can't figure out a way to do so. That's the premise that would set up even the notion that, well, would you then trade Aronado Goldsmith? My whole point with this is that the Cardinals cannot allow for that premise to come to fruition. They cannot fall victim to the premise that they they just won't be able to quite get it done this time. It's the front office's responsibility to fix it, and I continued in the tweet, reputations should be at stake with this because you can't use a problem you created by putting it off as last winter Cardinals fans said, hey, you might want to prioritize this rotation. I don't think we have enough. And at winter warmup last January, John Moselock famously, or maybe infamously at this point, said, that starting pitching market, when he was asked about the starting pitching market, we didn't really delve into that too much. And maybe that ends up being a strategic mistake, he said. And I can I can put myself mentally right in that front row seat of the Cardinals interview room when he said that. And I think, man, he just basically acknowledged that if it doesn't go well this year, that was the error. That's where the Cardinals went wrong by making the strategic mistake at the time he said potentially this could be viewed as a strategic mistake to not prioritize or delve too much into that starting pitching market last offseason. He said, though, our hope at the time, he said, our hope is that that won't be the case and we will have enough in terms of pitching. I think I've talked about that quote at least half a dozen times on b Shafe Daily over the past 11 months, whatever it's been since he said it. And if it's only been a half a dozen times, I I probably need to double or triple that because it's the whole crux of everything, I think, that happened this past season. Like, offense could have done some different things, bullpen, obviously, but you're sitting there and going, like, before the storm comes, you're sitting there going, yeah, I mean, if this thing goes wrong, it's probably because we don't have enough starting pitching. And I'll be damned if that's not exactly what happened. So that's why I say you can't use a problem that you created or at least a problem that you allowed to manifest by being passive, by being—and it's not even hands-off. It's just a notion of—and again, I've talked about my thought process as to how and why the Cardinals came to the series of decisions that they came to in terms of just not adding more pitching before last season, before the 2023 campaign. I think it's a look at the 40-man roster— And we didn't get a lot of a sense for how much they tried to trade away from it. Guys like Dakota Hudson or, you know, some of the other pitchers that you just felt were maybe extra guys that, you know, you're paying a guy like Dakota Hudson a few million bucks, but he's not really penciled into a spot in your starting five. And even if somebody gets hurt, which Wainwright did, the spot goes to somebody else because Hudson has such a bad spring training Like, it felt like at the time they could have cleared some roster glut. And maybe the same thing with the outfield where they just didn't really trade away any of those guys and they came in with such depth and it ended up being too much depth, honestly, because they couldn't get anybody into a rhythm to the extent that they were so excited to have Jordan Walker and and so proud to have him on the team on opening day. But then a few weeks later, it was like, oh, man, we jumped the gun on this because if we weren't ready to commit to him full send— we probably shouldn't have brought him to St. Louis in the first place at all, but I think they wanted a PR win. I think they wanted the win of, like, hey, this exciting young player can help us right now because he's he's a polished hitter, and he is, and he was, and he'll continue to get better. But I think they just got caught up in, like, what would it be like if we just could have this win? If we could just bring up Jordan Walker and have it go great, gosh dang, wouldn't that be great? And... They had five outfielders for three spots on a daily basis. Even when guys like Newt Barr were getting hurt, he slid into the third base and got his thumb banged up and missed. I mean, I think that happened on opening day. He missed several weeks from that. It's just like they still had too many outfielders to where they eventually had to send Jordan Walker down. And they said we want him to hit the ball in the air and not on the ground and yada, yada, yada. I think, you know, sure, like that's fine. And if you just buy the company line and say that that's all it was, then fine. But like we know that and it's not that the Cardinals didn't acknowledge that it was also related to the depth and the fact that Jordan Walker didn't play a lot of outfield prior to that point in his career. And he was very raw and still is raw and is down in Jupiter this offseason with a regimen to try and get better as an outfielder, basically full access to the Cardinals facility to try and ramp that up as quickly as possible because it would be very valuable to the team to have him be a league-average right fielder defensively. That would be huge for what the Cardinals are looking to do not only this year, but over the next several years as they kind of construct their roster around that notion. But I think it was made complicated by the fact that last year, last offseason, they didn't trade away outfielders, and so they came in with just too many guys. And they they didn't all fit together, and they had to make difficult decisions and, you know, you'll have Dylan Carlson feeling left out because he just wants a chance to play. He's 24 years old. And it's not like, I mean, this is a big league. It's not like you just should get a chance to play. You got to earn your opportunities. But they are known to give some guys run to try and get them going. And that's kind of where they they staked their flag on Tyler O'Neill at the beginning of the year. And it was like, oh, man, this isn't really working out. But we've already kind of shattered Dylan's confidence. But at the same time, Build your own confidence. Be a be a big leaguer. Like all of those things are going on, and you've got Jordan Walker in right field, where it's like, well, he's not really a defensive outfielder at this point. They quickly realize part of the reason that you could say, all right, they probably rushed him to the big leagues more so be, with a, like from an outfield perspective defensively. That was premature. Offensively, no, I don't think it was. He had to hit the ball in the air because sure, he might have made adjustments with the minor league hitting coach when he did get sent to Memphis, but. I think he could hang at the big league level, and I think he would have made those adjustments. Defensively, though, is another story entirely. Throwing him out there defensively was probably the more reckless decision than the idea that he wasn't ready offensively at the beginning of 2023. But then you also had Alec Burleson in that mix where, like, he's not really a natural outfielder either, but they really want to make fetch happen, right? That's kind of how it felt is, like, they wanted to make the left-handed contact bat who's going to grow into his power and just you know take the league by storm. They wanted to make that happen. They gave Alec Burleson the opportunities. Didn't really happen for him this past year. Doesn't mean it can't. Again, he's a rookie campaign, and he can get better. And the raw materials, I think, for Burleson to be a really good MLB hitter are still there. But they kind of force-fed that, which is a hard thing to do when you have all these other young-to-youngish guys trying to get opportunities as well. And it just did not work out. I say all of that about the outfield because I think it is an apt comparison to where they were pitching-wise with the rotation because they had six guys, and it's not that they weren't paying their rotation. In fact, it was the opposite of that. All six of those guys on paper before injuries and before underperformance or any of it had big league starting experience, like a good amount of it. Rotation to begin last season, it might be hard to remember now because a lot of the guys are gone. But you had, and I, I don't worry about the order, but you had Michaelis, Wainwright, Flaherty, Montgomery, Stephen Matz, and Dakota Hudson. That's six guys that I would say all of them veterans, MLB veterans, right? I mean, Dakota Hudson's now been around a number of years by this point, but he's the odd man out, even though he's getting a little bit of money in arbitration. That's just the nature of the beast. So it's like, you you can't very well go out and this was right and we've talked about this before but it's difficult to go out and sign last year's Seth Lugo or you know whoever it is the guy that you're gonna pay two years you know 18 million or 22 million or whatever it is it's difficult to sign that guy because when he gets to the clubhouse and he's in the locker room and he goes well there's six other starters here what am I gonna be doing except guys are smart enough not to sign that contract because they're they can look at a depth chart. And so I genuinely think last year, the reason that the Cardinals didn't prioritize fixing the pitching before it was revealed to have been irrevocably broken was because it was complicated. You had to almost trade away some of the glut that you had in order to bring somebody else in and say, we've got a spot for you. And that's a hard thing to do because if you're trading away those guys, it's because you don't think they're good enough to be in your rotation, and maybe not good enough. Better term would be reliable enough to fill that spot that they're going to occupy in your rotation, and all five of the guys that you choose are going to have to do it and be great, or at least fill their role and do their part. And if you don't think they're going to be capable of doing that, all right, you can trade them away, but you're probably not going to get much for those guys because you're saying, yeah, they're not really enough for us. In the case of Dakota Hudson, at the time, I thought, that's okay. You can let him go. You can let him go somewhere where he is going to be in the rotation. Cincinnati Reds, at the time, I thought, you know, they stink. Royals, right? I mean, I still think Dakota Hudson could go to the Royals and be probably one of their better starters. And is that great for Dakota Hudson? Probably not. He's on a losing team for sure. But is it also like for Dakota Hudson, he's going to pitch. He's going to start 30 games. I don't think Dakota starts 30 games on the Cardinals next year. They're not going to set it up and allow for that. So that was the same thing we saw to begin 2023. All offseason, we're like, Dakota Hudson's not starting on this this rotation. Is he going to be the bullpen? I don't know. We'll see how spring training goes. He didn't pitch well in spring, and he wasn't even on the roster, and they didn't bring him up until they absolutely had to because he wasn't pitching well at Memphis either. I think by the time he got to the Cardinals, kind of got a little bit of confidence back, and to me, did pitch pretty well toward the end of the season, but not to the extent that you go, we're changing our plan about how we're going to approach 2024. Like you're not giving Dakota a a starting rotation spot, I I don't believe, uh, based on what you saw down the stretch. I also think that's true of Drew Rahm. It's true of Zach Thompson. It's true of Libertor. Mo keeps saying we like what we saw from the young guys. I I guess, but not to the extent that you're going to pencil any of them in for a spot in your starting five come February 14th or whenever spring training opens. Like, I don't think that's the way that the Cardinals are going to be able to approach this, but I just think it was too darn complicated to do it any other way last offseason because they need to make trades, and sometimes it's hard to make them. Especially when you are so hellbent on not getting screwed. You're so hellbent on not overpaying or not letting a guy go prematurely. You hoard these players, but you don't know what to do with them. You don't know how to best utilize them. Or maybe the guys that you're hoarding aren't worthy of being hoarded and you and their careers and everybody might be better served if they're on a different team in a different situation. And you can turn that 40-man roster if you don't get – and I I keep picking on Dakota. I'm not trying to hone in on him too much, but I use him as an example because when you started last baseball season in 2023, he was the odd man out of a six-man rotation. You only have five until Wainwright got hurt, but then it was, well, Jake Woodford had a good spring. Dakota didn't. Here we are. Dakota's still in A. So, like, with all that being said, to me, there are multiple teams out there that would probably benefit from Dakota Hudson as their number four or their number five, and he probably pitches well enough if they have a decent defense behind him to have him look like more like a number three or, or better. You never know. But if the Cardinals are saying, well, we don't want to just give away Dakota Hudson for nothing— Okay, I get that part of it, but but at some point you have to make certain decisions about how you're going to prioritize your roster. If they would have been able to get like a 20-year-old or a teenage pitching prospect for him that you stash away and he's not on the 40-man and you're able to turn through, those are the kinds of trades that at least, like at a minimum, I thought they needed to have made last year. Didn't happen. They didn't make a trade at all last offseason. They might have made one, but I don't think so. Involving the major league roster, maybe I'm wrong. Remind me, correct me in the YouTube comment section because I'm not going to look it up. I don't think they made a trade, certainly not a substantial one. So if you're in this situation again, that can't be an excuse, first of all, this time. And it goes back to the premise where Derek Gould had asked John Moselak, or basically the way he set up his tweet is said there's the possibility that they'll be outbid or unable to add standout pitching. And it's a fair question and a good one that he asked, does that cause you to turn your attention, shift your focus, Maybe acknowledge that this isn't going to be a contending season in 2024. You trade Goldschmidt and Arenado, retool a little bit again in 2024, which means you probably don't win in 2024 as well. And Moselak, to his credit, said, "No, that's not what we're going to do." And I think that's right. I don't think they should be let off the hook so darn easy. Even if they like, if they if they can't get the steamed out pitching that they want, because and the reason doesn't matter by the way, whether they finish in second place whether they offer the most money. I mean, I, it, we'll never know is the problem with this. Information can get leaked out or reported or whatever. We'll never truly know. Like when Aaron Nola signs with the Cubs, I'm just giving an example. Don't freak out. I'm not reporting anything. This hasn't happened yet, to my knowledge. When Aaron Nola signs with the Cubs, for whatever amount it is, let's say it's six years, 150000000 million. I'm just picking a number out of thin air. If the Cardinals offered him six years and $170 million, they would look and say, well, man, we wish the public knew that because we offered $20 million more, and he signed with them instead. You know whose fault that is? The St. Louis Cardinals. It's still their fault. They're still responsible. They're still on the hook. My opinion, even if they offer more money, even if they offered the best contract, it's still on them. It's on John build Bill DeWitt, that they're not able to get it done. And this is all hypothetical. And so you might say, well, why are you going through the lengths of describing this when it's a scenario that may not even play out? I'm getting out ahead of it. And I think that's what Derek was doing with this question as well. Because what happens if we get six months, not six months, six weeks down the road and the Cardinals haven't really done anything and winter meetings have come and gone and they still don't really have a a top starter. Maybe by then they've, they've signed Seth Lugo or they've signed... You know, somebody do a two-year, $25 million deal to be their number three. And that's clearly leaving still a couple of holes toward the top of the rotation. Let's say that's the minimal action that we see over the next six weeks. At that point, it's like, man, what are they going to do? Well, Derek, being the great reporter that he is, asks the question now in case it goes that way. Because then he'll have had it on the record that, nope, they are not pivoting to to Goldsmith-Arnauto. At least they said they're not to moving those guys and, and retooling and, and kind of almost waving the flag on the notion that they could contend in 2024 before the season even begins because they, you know, they didn't end up getting the pitching that they needed. So I love that that question was asked out at the winter meetings by DG. But I want to emphasize that it doesn't matter. The reason that they come in second place in a bidding war doesn't matter. If you if someone signs for six and one fifty with another team, and you offered six and one seventy, should have offered six and one eighty. I'm not kidding. If you think I'm joking about this, you're. It, it's not the case, man. And it sounds preposterous. Like, okay, how far and above are they supposed to go before you go? Okay, there's nothing they could have done. Guy didn't want to sign here. Don't care. You have to get the ace, and and arguably too. Or you're not going to get it done. You're not going to get back into the playoff mix. You're not going to get it into the World Series mix. It's not going to happen. So it's your responsibility as a front office and as ownership to do it. And how you do it is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter how hard you try if you don't get it done. I think that's the standard that Cardinals fans need to hold them to this offseason. Keep bitching and complaining. I mean, that's honestly what you should do. If it doesn't work out and they, they they sell you a bill of goods on what they're going to do with payroll, and if they don't come through on it, continue to beat the drum. And I think Cardinals fans do a good job of that. I, I love the tweet from Jim Hayes earlier today. And he's got a YouTube channel, by the way, that he's starting up. I don't think he's put any videos on it yet, but you guys know the cat. Um, I think it's YouTube.com slash at Jim the Cat Hayes, I believe. Jim the Cat Hayes is his YouTube channel. So subscribe to that. But I love the tweet that he put out where he was basically kind of given, given the Cardinals fans their flowers, where he says I've lived and worked in other places, but the off season discussion, number crunching tea leave reading and nearly obsessive interest in what the Cardinals will do far exceeds anything I've ever seen. It's a tribute to the fan base. Now let's go get some starting pitching is what he tweeted. And unlike the cat, I really never have lived in other markets or worked in other markets. I lived in Texas for a little bit after my wife graduated uh 2018-2019. We came back to Missouri right before COVID happened. That was fun. But not a baseball market. We were living in Austin, Texas, so it was I didn't really it wasn't really a baseball market sort of thing. But I've lived in St. Louis and I have grown up around the Cardinals and even though I don't have you know, that experience of having lived in other places to see what other baseball fandom looks like throughout a full season or a series of seasons. I can say that being around Cardinals fans and taking in this environment, I, it seems like Jim is on to something there. Like, it's not to say they don't do it and they don't care in other markets, but Cardinals fans, I mean, you guys are relentless. You guys, I mean, this is this is real. This is a great uh, sort of example of what I'm talking about here. All October, you know, the playoffs are going on. Cardinals aren't in it. And so we were sporadic doing B-Shape Daily and doing podcasts, doing Cardinals talk. But now it's like, all right, everybody can kind of feel it in the air. The hot stove is is beginning to warm. We're, we're starting to simmer with it. And so I'm like, you know, I've got to do it. I've got to start doing these podcasts again because it's, it's too good. And I, I start going, yeah, I don't know. Are people even going to listen to it? Or do, does anybody even care right now? Right, Because it's kind of like, uh, yeah, too much talk. Let's see some action sort of thing from the Cardinals. But y'all are listening. I mean, this is the fourth day in a row that I've done a a podcast. And I put it up on YouTube, obviously. I think the first three all got at least 1,000 views on YouTube. Like, that's fantastic. That tells me this is worthwhile. So uh, it just really excites me that we're in the middle of November. And you guys want baseball talk every freaking day. That's how great Cardinals fans are. That's real. I might get on you guys sometimes for uh you know some of the fanatical things that you do. But that's how great Cardinals fans are. That's you can't make that up, right? But my advice would be keep that energy. Because you talk about accountability, that's kind of like a a made-up buzzword almost because there is no accountability ultimately that fans or media writers radio hosts whatever can can put on to John Moseleyock that's going to get him fired because Bill DeWitt makes that decision but you can at least drum up like the public and i'm not saying like it's the job of the media to call for the head of the the baseball executive that's not the way it works but if there are things that are being done or said and then not followed through upon that's up to everybody to call out. That's what I think accountability should mean. When John Moselak or the Cardinals, and sometimes I say Moselak when really it, it may not have come directly from his mouth, something that's said, but he is the figurehead of the organization. So it's his voice. It's his face that's on all of it, on everything that this organization does. He's the lead baseball executive. That's the way it works. But when Mo through the Cardinals says, hey, we're not doing our end of season press conference just yet. We're going to wait till." Uh, probably later in October, maybe even after the World Series. That's not him saying we're not having an end-of-season press conference, but isn't that what it ended up being? And there are fans who would say, "Dude, I don't give a damn about that. Why? Why are you talking about that? I don't care. I don't need Mo to get in front of some reporters and you know have them hound him with questions." There are Cardinals fans who think that way, and it's well, you're well within your right to think that way. But I think that is kind of a misinterpretation of why we care and why we talk about it. It's just basically speaking truth to power of, here's the truth, here's the reality. You said one thing, and then you did another. You may say it doesn't matter, but it is fact that that's what happened, right? First, you said, okay, end of season press conference is going to be this day. And then, well, we're not going to do it yet because we really don't have any news to share. We'll do it later on in October after... The World Series maybe kind of at the latest. Okay, here we are. I don't see any baseball games on the schedule tomorrow. Maybe have a presser. I understand that this week is obviously, it wasn't going to happen. GM meetings were in Scottsdale. Everybody got sick. It's a whole thing. But I'm just making the point that, like, when things like that take place, if you're in the media and not making mention of it, I don't even know what we're doing. You don't have to beat the dead horse too much, but like I'm going to make mention of it because I sit here, if I talk for an hour a day about this team in November, I can spend six or seven minutes going, hey, guys, remember that end-of-season press conference they didn't have? That's kind of an example of what we're talking about, right? So there has to be accountability to what is said. And to me, what's being said is this is going to be a contending team. In 2024. That's what we're going to do as the St. Louis Cardinals. How are we going to do that? We're going to add three starting pitchers. August 14th, 2023. We're going to go out and get three starting pitchers. Later on, it's, well, maybe two, maybe two. It's a volume thing. You guys wouldn't understand. You know what I'm saying? Like the the goalposts get moved. And if it doesn't bother you as a Cardinals fan, that's fine. Honestly, we'd all be better off being a little bit less angry about stuff that doesn't matter. But if we're going to get into the weeds on this, and I'm going to sit here and talk about the Cardinals for an hour a day, I'm probably going to bring it up and go, you know, he did say three, so hopefully they go get three because Ollie Marbles said that's what's needed and he was right. He also said he was on the same page with the front office about what the plan would be. And I'm not saying that since changed. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you what was said. Because I feel like that's important, to get it out there so people know, hey, here's where everybody's expectations were. And if it ends up being different than that, those questions will get asked. A lot of great beat writers in St. Louis they are going to ask those questions. They're, they probably asked them in Scottsdale this week. I wasn't there, but I'm sure a lot of those things come up and, and, hey, you said this before, how do you feel about this now? And like that's the dialogue. But sometimes those goalposts do get moved. That is the way it feels on occasion. And you might say, well, the Cardinals really tried. That's why, you know, Derek put it in that tweet and said, what if you're, you know, you might be outbid, you, whatever the case might be. Hey, if that happens, are you going to trade Goldschmidt and Arnotto or are we, are we still, you know, is is it, is it official that you guys are not going down that road? Right? Great question to ask. Because then if it should go this way or that way, if there should be a fork in the road that leads to questions of, hey, it's two months later and the rotation still doesn't look like it's going to contend, that question will have already been asked in in." Derek will be able to say, well, I asked John Mose like this at the beginning of November. Here we are. The situation has come to pass and either, you know, I'm not saying that they'll change their mind and like, oh, shoot, we do need to trade these guys. No, I don't think that's going to happen. It's just important to get that on the record, I think. But the premise is, hey, you could get outbid. You could fall short of your goal. You can't. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm doing this podcast today is to say you can't. They they cannot allow themselves to fall victim to that premise, and they will not be able to use it as, as an excuse of like, well, you know, a lot of other teams in baseball needed pitching this off season. It's a very aggressive market, right? Don't you? Could you imagine? Let me paint you a picture. Winter warm up is mid January. Back at Ballpark Village, they do the interviews in 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 Bush Stadium is is where the media kind of set up this time around used to be at like one of the hotel convention centers. And that was kind of cool because the media room was weird, like at the end of a hallway, but you could go out and you were in the middle of it all, which was kind of neat. It was unnecessary to be around all the fans, but it was kind of cool. Like you could, you could walk on out and it you know, this time you got to maybe go over to ballpark village and it's outside. and It's cold to get there. And I think there are some things going on inside Bush stadium as well, but mostly we just kind of stay in the interview room and, and that's that. But let's say that there's a scenario where mid January, John Mozaylock doing his uh, press conference during winter warm up, and he does so after the you know they've introduced um, Nick Martinez and I don't know Michael Waka. They get a couple of those guys from that tier, but they really can't pull off a trade, and they've only signed two pitchers, none of them for more than like a twelve to fifteen million AAV. So still, hey, still. Payroll flexibility, baby. There's still money to burn. Still uh, bandwidth, as they say. But it's kind of like all the big guns have signed. And so unless you make a trade that nobody sees coming and the reports are, well, the White Sox aren't trading Dylan Cease. And, uh, you know, Tyler Glass now already has been traded to the Dodgers. And the, the musical chairs, you know, the music stops and you're not sitting in one, that sort of thing. But the Cardinals can say, John Moselak can say, well, you know, we, we, we signed a couple of guys and so... We feel like uh, you know we've got some upside there, and we're reliant on these internal options. We think we've got some young pitchers on the rise that are really going to help us out. By name, he listed McGreevy and Graceffo last January, and neither guy got a call-up. So was he just kind of grasping at straws at that point? Because that's not really the way he's operated in the past. If he says the name of a prospect, and without being prompted by the way like it's not like we said hey what do you think of Grisefo yeah Grisefo's good no he he brought up the the names of these guys unprompted in the context of like internal what they've got on the come and said hey we think these are guys that are going to be able to help us soon maybe he does that again because again remember I'm still painting this picture stay with me i know it's long but we got to fill an hour so what are we doing the rotation at this point is michaelis Seth Lugo, Nick Martinez, and Steven Matz to go with Dakota Hudson slash Zach Thompson. As of January 14th or whenever winter warmup is, that's what we're looking at as of that day. And the articles being written and the reports being put out there are, well, they're still interested in maybe swinging a trade, but it's just kind of looking like it's going to be tough because a lot of the names are, are they don't seem to be budging. Might be tough. And, and, you know, the Cardinals just didn't want to meet the ask because teams wanted Nolan Gorman for Cutter Crawford or whatever. Teams wanted Brendan Donovan for you get the for Brady Singer. Like the reports will come out and Cardinals fans will go, "Well, that's ridiculous. I would never trade Nolan Gorman for that return. I would never trade Brendan Donovan for that return." And those are the reports that are being said. Okay? This is in the hypothetical scenario. At that press conference on January 13th or 14th, Mozelak is asked about the inability to get a proven guy that you go out and and, and can call your ace this offseason. Hey, you kind of had that hole in your rotation. You didn't get the ace. How did that come to fruition? How come it it didn't work out? And that would be the point where Mosaic says, well, there's a lot of teams that were really aggressive. We saw record spending in free agency this offseason, and we just didn't think it was prudent to delve into that degree, but we really like a couple of the guys that we got in a – in a different price tier, we feel like these guys can give us uh, competitive innings, they can fill these innings, and in the aggregate, we feel like we're going to be a lot better for it. Right? They're always going to spin it no matter what it is. And you can tell the difference between something that they have to spin versus like, hey, we just slam dunked this offseason. But I am painting you the hypothetical where they have to do a little spin job because it didn't go the way they said it would on August 14th or on September 30th or on November 1st, right? That's the scenario I'm wanting to paint. And at that point, it'll still be on them. It won't be reasonable to have the excuse of a lot of teams were really aggressive and we just couldn't, you know, we couldn't convince those big names to, to sign. We really made an effort. We just couldn't get it done. All right, that's still on you because you allowed this situation to perpetuate to the point where now you're desperate and you really are reliant upon getting one of those guys. And by the way, this is kind of a bleak scenario, but that's kind of the the name of the episode, right, is what happens if it doesn't go their way? I wanted to do this because I want to set the precedent. I want to set the tone of if it doesn't go their way, they still need to win 90 games. And something else that was interesting from Derek Gould's article was was part of the reason Moselec says, Yeah, we're not gonna be trading Arnado Goldsmith. They gotta sell tickets. <laughs> like the whole Bally sports thing that's still kind of up in the air. I think the Cardinals will be ready when all of that goes kablooey, and I think it will at some point go kablooey and Bally Sports will not be doing Cardinals games anymore. And there will be a lot of fallout because of that in, in various regards. But I think the Cardinals will be ready to assume their own thing and make it, make it happen, right? Build-A-Witt III, I think, is on top of that on the business side, knowing that you know they, they've had a little bit of time to plan for what that could look like if someday, hey, those payments aren't coming in. Now, the problem, though, with that is they're pretty good TV deal, and they're pretty reliant on that money in terms of how they operate with their payroll and their budget. The other part of it is ticket sales. So they can't very well... Trade away two fan favorites if they're trying to make sure they're going to maximize ticket sales once again. They already have to probably project a little bit of a decline in ticket sales because, well, if you were at the ballpark in August or September, you weren't exactly sitting elbow to elbow with your your peers, were you? The stadium, the stadium wasn't full for those months. And if this season, this 2024 season starts off poorly, yeah, it's not going to get any better. It's going to go the other way. So you got to cling to some of those elements of have the fan favorites, have those guys on display, know what people are coming to the ballpark to see. It's hard. It's a hard sell. If you're saying we're going to be reliant upon ticket sales to make sure that we can withstand what may be coming with the Bally Sports thing, can't exactly turn around and, and trade some fan favorites. It's a tough sell. So keeping the fan favorites important, and those guys are important on the field as well to the notion of winning those 90 games. The Cardinals have to win in 2024. I think there's a lot at stake. I think reputations are at stake. I, people's, I got some replies of people saying, well, jobs should be at stake. Again, you can hold the front office accountable until you're blue in the face. You don't have the power to fire them, not individually as a fan. Yes, it will be noticed if you stop coming to the ballpark. And if enough people do that, they will have no choice but to take note of that. But the thing is, like, John Moselak's a made man. He's got two years left of his contract, 24 and 25, and then he's done. I, again, he's not going to be the guy in charge for, you know, for a whole lot longer. I could see a world where they bounce back, win 90 games, and he already steps into maybe a lesser Role after the 24th season. I think at this point, it's hard to do that in the midst of what is kind of like a crisis for the organization because of what happened last year. I sort of thought we might have seen him do it after 23 if it went well and it was clear that things were in good hands and the transition would be smooth, but then you lose 91 games and Mo's got to be a lot more hands-on to try and fix it before he departs. Because again, February 2023, on the patio in Jupiter, Florida, outside the Cardinals Spring Training Clubhouse, I got the sense that John Moselak was heading out of the door pretty soon. And I got that sense from the words that he was speaking, right? It was kind of like a swan song contract is the way that it was being described. So now he's got to try and work to fix it and maintain the legacy that he's leaving behind. Because his legacy was, regardless of what you think of the guy, an incredible job. Between 2007 when he took over and 2022, they didn't have a losing season, guys. I mean, that's crazy. That is crazy. But it's the truth. And then 2023 happened. They put themselves in this position. There is no, and I, I don't even care It'll be reported. It should be. I don't care. The reason that they come in second place on Yamamoto, Aaron Nola, you shouldn't care as a Cardinal fan. You shouldn't care. It's happened enough times. Finish in first place, and if you don't have your pivots be worthy ones, all right, fine. We're gonna overpay Sonny Gray a little bit. You know, uh, Mo's got to make those those pivots. Okay, Blake Snell. We talked about it. We thought we could come to something that eh, didn't quite get there. Yamamoto, yeah, some crazy team gave him $250 million. I didn't think that was coming. We obviously weren't doing that. Right? Mo's got to look at all of these things as they're happening. Aaron Nola, I think, honestly, Aaron Nola could be affordable, but maybe maybe he'd rather be a Cub than a Cardinal. Maybe he'd rather be, maybe he'd rather go to the back to the Phillies. Like, whatever it is, it's your job to overpay, and it doesn't have to be Aaron Nola. Y- you just have to get one of the guys, right? So, if you say it's ridiculous in the hypothetical that I gave, that if he's going to sign in one place for six and 150, you offered six and 170. He still didn't pick you. How crazy would you have to be to go with six and 180? Well, maybe you don't, but you go to six and 150 for Blake Snell when the other team was only going to give him 125. Like, whatever the case would be, you pivot and you do so with some authority and with some decisiveness and you. You ABC, man, always be closing. You close the deal. You do that in free agency, and you do it in the trade market too because I think that's what it's going to take to really get the Cardinals rotation back to where it needs to be. To not be a drag on the notion that this team could contend for a pennant in 2024. Because, again, if you plop in a couple of top-flight starters, now Mosaic, see, this is why it's 2 a.m. and I'm getting tired. But just like yesterday when I said that Shane Bieber's FIP went up a full year when I meant a full run, I'm leaving this in just to show you how delirious I am. Anyway, what I was going to say is now Michaelis is your number three and Steven Matz is maybe your number five. And maybe you get somebody else via either a smaller free agent deal or via trade that's your number four. Or maybe he's your number five and Matt's is your number four. But you get two guys that you go, oh, yeah, these are tough flight guys. And you you know it when you see it, right? We can debate certain names. I, again, I think Sonny Gray would be a really good signing. I think I still expect the Cardinals to, to sign him. How much they spend on him is maybe what's going to inform how good the rest of their rotation could be and what other resources are going to remain. I think that's important. But I think Sonny Gray is a guy that would make a lot of sense. He feels very Cardinal-like in the way that they approach things and the way we envision them working to get the rest of the rotation filled. You may not want to blow out on the very first guy and take up a a big chunk of your budget. If you can get him for a little less, a little fewer years, but still feel like he's going to be a darn quality pitcher for three, four years, then that feels like something the Cardinals might do but then you probably still need somebody else just as good as him. And are you going to sign Montgomery too? Or are you going to make a trade? These are things that have to happen. So I just wanted to squash the premise. It was good that the question was asked. Hey, if things don't go your way, would you trade your stars and, and retool? No, that's not what our mindset is. Great. But by the way, you're not allowed to fail. can but there's nothing to hide behind if it happens again the excuses already were flimsy but what i do think is important to acknowledge he hasn't just made excuses john mozalak has taken accountability and said yep we messed it up we didn't it didn't go the way we thought it would and we got to be better we got to do it differently he's said that a lot so Sometimes I feel like when we just are looking for that pound of flesh, we're we're saying, oh, Mo, this won't take accountability. He said those things. Now, in other regards, I would say the accountability hasn't been great because it's uncomfortable to take accountability when when things aren't going your way. But I would say an area in which it hasn't been great is to not have an end-of-season press conference when you said you would. right? But we can contextualize that and say that's within its own box, and you can be disappointed by that, or you can say, that irritates me about the Cardinals or about this front office or about this ownership group. You can be irritated by that, but contextualize it. It's not the end of the world, but it is something that happened and it's okay to talk about. It's also okay. And I think necessary to mention that second half of the season, anytime that we did hear from John Moselock, he said, yeah, guys, we, we stink. We know when it didn't go the way we thought it would. And it's up to us to fix it. And we know that Ollie Marmal was great about that saying, this isn't the way any of us thought it would go, and nobody's happy about it in that clubhouse, but the only people that can fix it are the people here that have the capacity to do so and have the power to do so. So we're going to work our asses off this offseason to try to make that happen. And there's expectations, I think, coming into 2024 from the people that will remain on that roster and coaching staff and, and front office. There is there There are expectations. But I just think it's interesting to contextualize all of it and say, yeah, Moselak has kind of hidden away from it a little bit in so much as he's not doing these press conferences publicly, but he has admitted that there was an error to their ways. So the premise is we know it's got to be fixed. That's why I say, just don't let them off the hook because you can't in January, if it doesn't go the way you hoped it would and they don't make a big enough splash and they aren't set up to really thrive, you can't use the market as the excuse for that because you could have solved it at the trade deadline. You could have solved it the previous offseason. There are a variety of things that could have been done, right? And, and we don't want to beat too many dead horses. You can go back years and years and be like, yeah, well, if they had ever given the time of day to Max Scherzer when he wanted to be a Cardinal, like you, that'd be probably one more guy that you'd have and, and feel good about, right? You can't do that with every single permutation and every single deal that was or wasn't made over the course of the last decade. Like, that's not fair. But as long as you contextualize it and don't have an angry mob mentality over each one of those, it's okay to talk about them. But I do think it's important to recognize all those little moments led to where they are right now, which is kind of a place of desperation. And that's where you are. You have to fix it. It doesn't really matter how many pitchers the Mets need. It doesn't really matter how many pitchers the Yankees need or the Dodgers need. You're going to have to get pitchers despite what all those other teams are doing. Don't look at them. Look at me. (laughs) Don't worry about those other teams. Yes, you have to operate in a market that includes them because they're going to be going after some of the same names. The Cubs are going to be going after people. Cubs might get Otani. I don't think it's impossible. I know Cardinals fans would be your nightmare, Um, but I don't think it's impossible. The Cardinals just simply have to make sure that they they get this rotation fixed. They get this roster in tip-top shape, and they win more games next year. Otherwise, there will be no resting on your history, resting on the the really successful tenure. It'll be the emperor with no clothes at that point. I don't think we're quite there yet because I think that this front office has earned the opportunity through years and years of goodwill to have one real whoopsie and then react, respond, and aggressively fix it to say, yep, we hear you, that's our bad, here's how we're going to make it better. And then they go out and do that. They bring in the, the group that can make it happen and can get Cardinal baseball back to where it belongs. I, I, I do believe in that. I do believe that it belongs in a, in a tier of consistent performance and contending and winning. You're not going to win every year. You're not going to make the playoffs every year. It's easier to do now than it used to be, but it's not going to happen every time. But to have a season like they just had, you have two of them in a row, that becomes what you are. You you will not be able to hide behind what used to be. What have you done for me lately? That's going to be a very fair way to look at it. Already, there's a lot of Cardinals fans who say, hey, one season like this was already too much. I'm off the stuff for good. Okay, sure. But I think, I'll, you know, as someone who covers the team, I'll look at this and say, all right, you get one. Everybody gets one, right? But how do you react to that? How do you respond to it? What do you do about it? Because if if you're already kind of getting into the mindset of, hey, if and when this goes wrong, you know, what's your plan then? It just can't go wrong. (laughs) It's harsh. It's harsh. But you won't be able to have it go wrong and and convince people that, like, it's okay that they didn't make big, bold moves this offseason. And the reason that it's okay is because, well, they really tried, but the Cubs, you know, they, they just spent like crazy. Nobody saw that coming. You know, the Yankees and Mets really had some things to fix as well. And gosh dang it, we tried to make that trade with the White Sox, but they didn't want to. They didn't want to give us Dylan C's like, uh, you know, we really tried, but it's okay guys. Right? No, it won't be. Nope. It doesn't matter how you do it. You go win 90 games and make the playoffs next year at a minimum. That's to me, that's, what's got to happen. Let me know Cardinals fans, what you think I'm going stream of consciousness this year because this is like the preamble to what's coming. This is the, the winter is coming as they say in game of Thrones and there's a lot of different ways it could go. Today was the what happens if it goes wrong? Just giving me an opportunity to one hour later say my whole point behind this podcast today was that it cannot go wrong and Cardinals fans, you shouldn't you shouldn't accept anything less than it going right. And if it does go wrong, you've got my blessing. Endless bitching. You're allowed to do it and I won't criticize you for it. But then I would say you might want to find another hobby because another year like last summer, I don't even know. I'll probably still do the podcast. It's too fun talking with you guys, but goodness gracious, have mercy on me at that point. That's my whole point today, guys. Cardinals fans should be in that mindset of, hey, they've got they've got to show me. They've got to fix it and restore Cardinals baseball to what it was. Otherwise, it's you admitting that it's not what it used to be and, you know, You'll have a, a fan base that I think treats it that way. You won't get your 3 million fans. It will not happen. If if they lose 90 games again, I don't think it's going to happen. I think you. I think as long as the offseason, they have enough that they do that gets people amped up, you, it'll look good at the beginning of the season. People will come to Bush Stadium. People will get excited about this team. If they start slow and it doesn't turn around quick, There's a lot at stake here. I really think there's a lot at stake here. And uh, it's important to win the offseason. Or at least to have an offseason that, even if people don't recognize it at the time, it turns into the Cardinals winning more games. Like, whether you as a Cardinal fan like the pitchers they sign or not doesn't really matter today. Because if at the end of April, there are 20 wins and eight losses, you're like, oh, it worked. I was skeptical in January, but holy smokes, this looks pretty good. And then they win 95 games. You go, all right, you're right. You did win that offseason, even if I I didn't tell you at the press conference. That's all that matters is how many games they win. Do they win the division? Do they make the playoffs? Do they go anywhere in the playoffs? Some would say, I don't care about making the playoffs. What are you going to do when you get there? For me, with how last year went, that's a hard I know that was where everybody's mindset was coming into 2023 because they made the playoffs in 22. They got swept out of them. And so it was like, how do you raise the bar to actually be a team that is regularly making NLCS appearances and winning them about half the time, and then every once in a while you win a World Series? What happened to that? Well, you got to walk before you run, and right now the Cardinals are kind of starting from square one. They're back to ground zero I think they can build it up rather quickly, but they have to almost win the offseason, even whether we recognize it or not at the time doesn't matter. But it'll be easy to tell, right? If they have at least a chance to do it. Like, you might not love Sonny Gray, but as long as they sign him and they they trade for somebody else or they sign somebody else and, and have a rotation that, on paper, is at least competitive, that'll be step one. And then it has to actually work in real life or they don't get credit for it. That's the crazy part. They could spend money and still be in the wrong. That's, But that's how sports work, right? Like, if you don't win and you keep not winning, you're considered to be not very good. And that's the way history will remember you. It doesn't have to be fair. It doesn't. They won't have an asterisk that says, well, the 2024 Cardinals went 76 and 86 because even though they got a little better in the rotation by adding guys in the winter, they couldn't add all the players they wanted because they wouldn't sign here. You know, they couldn't get him to agree. Okay, they didn't offer him enough money. But They didn't make a compelling enough pitch. It's on them. Like, it is a bottom-line business, and that's the way I look at it coming into this offseason and, and then the 2024 campaign. I sound angrier than I am. I'm just trying to to channel your guys' emotions. So tell me if I'm doing an okay job of that. Let me know in the comments where I, where I missed the mark or maybe where you, you agreed with some of what I said here tonight. Comment below on YouTube, and uh, if you like YouTube, great. Hit subscribe. Would love to have you on board. Tons of Cardinals content coming in the weeks and months ahead. B-Shape Daily is also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.